0: Let us open the Holy Scriptures to Matthew chapter 5. We will read a portion of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, beginning at verse 21 and reading to the end of the chapter. Matthew 5, beginning at verse 21. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment, and whosoever shall say to his brother Raka shall be in danger of the council, but whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Agree with thine adversary quickly, whilst thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Verily I say unto thee, thou shalt by no means come out thence, till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her, hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out, and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. It hath been said, whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, Causeth her to commit adultery, and whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery. Again ye have heard, it hath been said, by them of old time, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. But I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. But let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay, for whatsoever is more than these cometh from evil. Ye have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that ye resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the law, and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor, and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them that despitefully use and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father, which is in heaven, is perfect. Here we end our reading of the Holy Scriptures. On The basis of Jesus' words in this passage and the entirety of the Scriptures, we consider the Catechism's instruction in Lord's Day 44. explaining the tenth commandment thou shalt not covet. Question 113, what doth the tenth commandment require of us? That even the smallest inclination or thought, contrary to any of God's commandments, never rise in our hearts, but that at all times we hate all sin with our whole heart, and delight in all righteousness. But can those who are converted to God perfectly keep these commandments? No. But even the holiest men, while in this life, have only a small beginning of disobedience. Yet so, that with a sincere resolution they begin to live, not only according to some, but all the commandments of God. Why will God then have the Ten Commandments so strictly preached, since no man in this life can keep them? First, that all our lifetime we may learn more and more to know our sinful nature, and thus become the more earnest in seeking the remission of sin and righteousness in Christ. Likewise, that we constantly endeavor and pray to God for the grace of the Holy Spirit, that we may become more and more conformable to the image of God, Till we arrive at the perfection proposed to us in a life to come. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, we come to the last commandment of the Decalogue. The Ten Commandments. God's law. Which expresses the will of God for how his blood-bought adopted children are to live before him in love, serve, and worship him. The Ten Commandments express to us the complete will of God for our lives. And that's quite something, isn't it? The whole will of the infinite God expressed, revealed, in ten simple, straightforward, yet profound commandments. If you were to try to gain a full knowledge of the laws of our land, You would have to page through volumes of law books. And even then, you'd probably have to go to law school for many years just to get a grasp of all of the laws of our land. Now, we never graduate from the school of our God. We are always learning his law, learning it more and more. That's the value of having the law read every Sunday, and the value of catechism preaching, in which we go through each of the Ten Commandments every year or so. We are always learning more, and yet God's law is so simple and beautiful. Ten Commandments, ten words. God's law is truly a law like no other. But the simplicity, the conciseness, the the brevity of the Ten Commandments are really the The least of its amazing features. God's law, his Ten Commandments, is a law like no other. Because it's a spiritual and inward focused law. And that's the focus of Lord's Day 44. That's the deeper principle that the Tenth Commandment teaches us. And that's the deeper principle of the law that Jesus teaches in the section of Matthew 5 that we have just read. That the law of God is not simply an outward code of conduct, but is deep, is spiritual, is inward looking. It is a law that lays claim, not just on your outward activities, but it is a law that lays claim on your heart and your entire existence. God's law is a law like no other. A spiritually perfect law. The law of the living God is holy and righteous. And so that's what we're going to focus on this morning. Looking at the 10th commandment, but in this sermon especially focusing on the deeper principle that the 10th commandment teaches us concerning the entire law of God. So let's consider Lord's Day 44 under the theme, A Law Like No Other. Noticing first, that this law commands the heart. Secondly, that it exposes the depth of our sinfulness. And finally, that it reveals our need for Christ and his grace. Thou shalt not covet. That's how the Ten Commandments conclude. And this Tenth Commandment shows us something important. It shows shows us that God's law commands the heart. Not just the hands, not just the eyes, not just our feet, but the heart from which flows the issues of life. God's law is like no other. And we can understand that when we compare God's law with human laws. No human law commands your heart. Consider the government. Romans 13 describes the institution of civil government that the powers that be are ordained of God and how God has given to the civil government lawmaking and law enforcing power it may make laws that are binding upon the citizens in its jurisdiction and the government is authorized to punish lawbreakers but what does human law command what does the government command your outward conduct man's law can't and may not, reach into your heart. Man's law simply demands outward compliance, and there it stops. And as long as your outward life, your actions conform, are in line with the laws of the land, you're innocent in the eyes of the state. Simple example. Speed limit on Chicago Drive is 55. If you go 70, you break the law, And the law enforcement agent may pull you over and ticket you. But if you go 55 and you really don't like it, you think the speed limit should at least be 60 or 65, but you keep that inside and you go 55, you're not going to get pulled over. You're not going to be ticketed. The laws of the land are only interested in your outward conduct. You're not going to get a ticket for not liking the speed limit. The state is simply interested in you obeying the law outwardly. And if you do, no matter what you think inside, you're innocent in the eyes of the state. And this shows us how different God's law is from man's laws, such as the laws of the state. God is the lawgiver, and God looks deeper than The outward appearance. Think of what God said to Samuel when Samuel was having the sons of Jesse walk before him. And God was going to point out the one that he had chosen to be the next king of Israel. God says this to Samuel in 1 Samuel 16 verse 7. For the Lord seeth not as a man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. God's law is a law unlike any other because in God's law, he commands the heart. And the specific sin now that the 10th commandment forbids shows us that. Thou shalt not covet. What does coveting look like? Children, think about this for a minute. If your art teacher at school told you, draw me a picture of a man who is coveting, what would you draw? It would be kind of hard, wouldn't it? It would be much easier to draw a picture of a man stealing. Why? Because stealing is a sin that is done with the hands. It's something you can see with your eyes, but you can't see coveting. Because what is coveting? Coveting is a sin of the heart. Thou shalt not covet reveals that God's law is concerned not just with our hands and what we do with our hands or the words that we speak or where we go with our feet, but God's law is concerned ultimately with what goes on in our heart, what we think, what we desire. Coveting. Thou shalt not covet. What is coveting? Coveting is wanting something that God has given to your neighbor but has chosen not to give to you. Coveting is wanting it so much that you say to yourself, I won't be happy till I get it. That's coveting. The 10th commandment shows you can covet anything, it gives a short list your neighbor's spouse, your neighbor's house, your neighbor's field, your neighbor's ox, your neighbor's donkey. Anything that is your neighbor's. Any object, anything in this world that you desire but God hasn't given it to you. God has given it to your neighbor and you want it. And it makes you upset that you don't have it. And you want it more and more and you won't accept God's will for you right now that you don't have it. That's coveting. It's a sin of the heart. It's desire that is out of line with God's will for you right now. That is what coveting is. Now coveting is really a launching pad for all sorts of sins. The covetous man may steal that thing that he wants. The covetous man may hold in anger against his neighbor. He's upset with his neighbor because his neighbor has that thing he wants. And finally, he hurts his neighbor with his words or even outright kills his neighbor. And covetousness is the root of that outward sin. Covetousness is often the launching pad of other sins. But the point of the 10th commandment is... Whether you act on your covetousness or not, it's already sin. God looks at the heart. God commands the heart. God requires that all of the thoughts and desires of our hearts be in perfect alignment with his will revealed in his word. And so we can apply the 10th commandment specifically. Thou shalt not covet. It's a word that God gives us to try our hearts and to search our hearts. What do you and I desire that the neighbor has and God hasn't given to us? Let's take stock of ourselves. Because our society doesn't help us here. Of course it doesn't. The world will never help us. But our society is one that cultivates covetousness. Our society says, you need this. You deserve this. The latest and greatest, whatever it may be. A gadget, a car, a house. The next thing that comes out, you can't live without it. You have to have it. You deserve it. Our society cultivates covetousness and behind that is Satan himself. With the very first temptation, tempted our first parents to covet that one fruit that God said no to. And Satan said, you can't be happy until you have it. And sin began with desire inside the heart of our first parents, desire that was out of alignment with God's will, and from that sinful desire sprang the sinful action of taking that fruit and eating that fruit. And so it is, Satan, Satan has a heyday in our culture. The advertisement industry is a great tool for Satan. It cultivates covetousness and we are bombarded with that day after day. And so the 10th commandment comes to us in our wealthy, prosperous culture and we need to hear the word of the 10th commandment. Thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt not set the desires of your heart upon those things which God says you are not to have right now according to my will. You are not to look with an envious eye upon your wealthy neighbor's goods Let's all apply it personally, because we all want things, don't we? And wanting, as we've seen before, is not in and of itself wrong. It's something natural to us as creatures. But covetousness is wanting contrary to God's will for us. Is there a want? It's always there nibbling at the edges of your mind. Gnawing away at your happiness. And your contentment. That's covetousness. The 10th commandment says, put that away. Look at what you have in Jesus Christ. You have all. You have all in Him, and that's what matters. Say with the Apostle Paul in faith that whatsoever state you are in, I've learned therewith to be content. The word for the youth, too, as You young people grow up in this world as you get married, as you start your own homes and families. There's tremendous pressure from the world in this area. Even as you enter a new phase of life which is challenging, you're starting your own home. You have to do your own finances. There's bills, there's insurance, there's groceries, there's doctor visits, there's giving to the church and the causes of the kingdom, there's school tuition and all of the rest. And then there's the world saying, you need this, you need that, this toy, this great new thing, the latest version of the iPhone, you have to have it now. And that pressure can be so great. Satan uses that to tempt us to set our hearts on those things. Or to be wasteful or or not wise in the use of our money. Let us hear the 10th commandment. Very important instruction to us to take heed of ourselves and the desires of our hearts. Thou shalt not covet, but thou shalt be content with the Lord thy God and his will for you at this moment and what he has given you. Above all, what he has given you in Jesus Christ, riches imperishable, treasures in heaven that raw, that moth and rust cannot destroy and no thief will ever steal. There is where the desires of our hearts must be fixed. Let the psalmist's prayer in Psalm 119 verse 36 be ours. Incline my heart unto thy testimonies and not to covetousness. But moving from the specific command, we want to see that the 10th commandment does more. It teaches us the perfection of God's law. It shows us the inward spiritual focus of the whole law. It reveals that not only the 10th commandment commands the heart, but all nine commandments before it command the heart. And that's the focus of the catechism in its explanation of the 10th commandment. Question 113 asks, what doth the 10th commandment require? And then you read the answer and maybe you're struck by the fact that the word covet doesn't show up. It's not that the writers of the catechism were twisting the 10th commandment or made a startling omission here. Part of it is that back in Lord's Day 42, in its exposition of the 8th commandment, The bottom line of answer 110, the catechism dealt with covetousness as one of the spiritual roots of theft. But the main reason that the catechism doesn't directly address the specific sin of covetousness in Lord's Day 44 is that the catechism is focusing on the deeper principle that the 10th commandment teaches us about the whole law of God. And that deeper principle is that God's law is a law like no other. It is a spiritual, inward, heart focused law. The 10th commandment teaches us that God's law requires not simply outward compliance to 10 commands, but God's law requires wholehearted spiritual obedience to the will of God on the outside as well as on the inside. There is no part of us. That is not claimed by the law of God. God's law is not like our government. God's law is not like the speed limit. God is not satisfied with anything but your whole heart. Solomon said to his son in Proverbs 23 verse 26. My son Give me thine heart. And our Heavenly Father says the same words to us in the Tenth Commandment and in the whole law. God says to us, His adopted children in Jesus Christ, My son, my daughter, Give me thine heart. That means... Even the smallest inclination or thought contrary to any of God's commandments never rise in our hearts. That means that at all times we hate all sin with our whole heart. That means that at all times we delight in all righteousness. That's the deeper principle of the 10th commandment. That's the deeper principle that Jesus teaches in the part of the sermon on the mount that we read even though jesus like the catechism doesn't mention coveting by name he doesn't mention the 10th commandment what jesus does in this section of the sermon on the mount is he applies this deeper principle of the 10th commandment to the entire law of god because the pharisees they did not understand the 10th commandment the pharisees part of whom Jesus addresses in this sermon, yes, they were meticulous law keepers, but it was all on the outside. They treated God's law as an outward code of conduct and they left the heart all out of it. They saw themselves as the righteous because they were so meticulous in observing the law of God. God's law said, keep the Sabbath day. Don't work on the Sabbath day. And they said, we're righteous. Look at all we do. We go beyond God's law. We make sure we don't carry any heavy burdens on, on the Sabbath day. We make sure we don't even walk too many steps on the Sabbath day. We are the righteous. They did not understand the principle of the 10th commandment, which teaches us God commands the heart. Not just your feet. Not just your hands. Not just your eyes. Not just your mouth. Your heart. That is to say, all of you. Your whole life down to the smallest thoughts, desires, leanings of your innermost heart. So Jesus exposes the shallowness of the Pharisees' law-keeping. Behind their flawless appearance were hearts full of sin. You've heard it said that you shall not kill. Because you've never taken the life of a man, you think that you must be so righteous in God's eyes. But I tell you, Jesus says, Have you been angry? Have you harbored anger against your brother? You've murdered him in your heart. Because God accounts the roots of murder to be murder. God looks at and commands the heart. You Pharisees think you're squeaky clean because you've never gone up to your neighbor's bed. You had a lustful thought. Committed adultery in your heart. A lustful glance. Adultery in the heart. A lustful thought leads to a lustful glance, which may eventually lead to fornication. But whether you take it to its end, it's fornication, adultery, all the same, of the heart. God looks at the heart. God commands the heart. And so Jesus teaches us here how to read, how to interpret, how to understand the whole law of God in light of the 10th commandment. This is the crucial lesson. The 10th commandment is the key to the whole law. We are to understand each one of the 10 commandments as being inward looking, commanding the heart, not just outward conduct. And so to take a couple of examples. Let's apply this principle of the 10th commandment to the first table of the law. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Keep the Sabbath day. These commandments command the heart. Not just our actions. Look at religion today. Start by looking at the religions of the world. Their adherents. They perform all these outward rituals, certain rituals, recite certain words, observe certain festivals, avoid certain taboos, do these things, and you've done your duty to the gods, and now it's the gods' duty to do something good for you. But are we like that sometimes? Here's a danger for us dead orthodoxy. Formalism with regard to the first table of the law. Doing the right things at the right time, in the right way, as they've always been done before, and thinking, all right, we've done our duty. God will surely bless us. That's the kind of outward mentality that Jesus is condemning here in Matthew 5, and that is exposed as completely wrong by the 10th commandment. God says to us, my son, give me your heart, not your ritual. My son, give me your heart. And if you won't give me your heart, I don't want your religion. Because it's lip service. Give me your heart. All that you are. Have no gods before me. Why? Because you love me with all your heart. Make no graven image. Why? Because you don't want to replace the living God with something after your imagination. Let your heart be in it. Why do you honor my name? Because you love me. Why keep my Sabbath? Why do you avoid doing certain things? And why do you come to church and do these things, right things, in the right way? And that's important. But why do you do them? What's behind the form? It must be heart, heart, love for God. That's what the 10th commandment teaches us obedience from the heart. Apply it to the second table now. And for time's sake, we'll just focus on the first commandment of the second table, the fifth. So, a word for you children. What's the fifth commandment? Honor thy father and thy mother. What does that mean? It means obey dad and mom. But now... Commandment 10 teaches us something about that obedience. Obedience isn't just doing what dad and mom say. That's part of it and very important. But obedience is also what you think in your heart about dad and mom. Mom asks you to wash the dishes after dinner and you do it. You do it. You even wash those dishes squeaky clean, but maybe inside you're thinking bad things about mom because you're upset that she told you to do it. If that's the case, you've still broken the fifth commandment. Even though you outwardly obeyed, where was your heart? That's what the tenth commandment teaches us. None of the commandments are about just our hands, what we do. But all of the commandments address the heart. That controls the hands and what we do. The lesson of the 10th commandment give God your heart, obey from the heart. By nature, we don't like that. By nature, we don't like what the 10th commandment teaches us about the rest of the law because it makes it that much harder, doesn't it? The Pharisees, for all of their rigorousness in their observance of all of these little rules, they really had an easy religion. It was a giant checklist, but if you're meticulous enough, you could check all of those things off and say, I'm good. The 10th commandment won't let us do that. The 10th commandment reaches into our heart and says, give God everything. That's hard. That's why the 10th commandment now exposes the depth of our sinfulness. Exposes the depth of our sinfulness. The 10th commandment is the searchlight of God that now shines on our hearts and on our inner life. And shows us everything that's wrong there. There's a lot that's wrong there the depth of our sinfulness. God teaches us in the 10th commandment that sin is not simply skin deep. We want to think about it that way sometimes. But sin goes all the way down into our core. Sin is a corruption of our whole nature. We have that old man of sin, that old fallen nature who is as bad as you can get. He's totally depraved. Sin is a deep, deep problem. The Tenth Commandment then all by itself refutes the proud heresy of Pelagius and refutes all kindred errors that take a shallow view of human sinfulness. Pelagianism and its kindred errors say that man's nature is really a blank slate. It's largely neutral. And sin is simply learned behavior. Sin is purely in the act. People sin because they learn bad habits. They learn to do bad things from other people. But sin is just surface level. And that means the learned behavior of sin can be unlearned, through discipline and a little pinch of grace to help you out. Tenth Commandment says, oh no, oh no. This shallow view of sin is completely wrong. Sin isn't just on the outside. Sin isn't just skin deep. Sin goes all the way down to your heart and mind. The 10th commandment then gets rid of every shallow view of sin, and that's very important for us because if we have a shallow view of sin, we really don't know our sin. We don't. We need to see into the depths. And the 10th commandment is the light that allows us to see deeply into our own hearts and see our sin for what it is. There is sin in the act. Of course there is. All of the Ten Commandments are stated condemning one of the grossest forms of each of those sins. Murder in the act, the Sixth Commandment forbids. But that's not all it forbids. The Tenth Commandment, which helps us interpret the Sixth Commandment, shows us that behind the actual act of taking a man's life, there are all sorts of roots of murder in the heart. Hatred, envy, desire for revenge, and the rest. Our sinful actions arise from a sinful nature. We are sinners because we are sinful. We use that word a lot, sinful, but think about what it is saying. A sinful person isn't somebody who merely does sin. A sinful person is a person who is full of sin. That's who we are by nature. Fallen man is not guilty before God simply because of what he does. Sinful man is guilty before God because of what he has become and so the tenth commandment, as it shines the light upon our hearts, gives us a deep, not a shallow view. Of our own sinfulness. And this is so important for us. As the last question and answer in our Lord's Day says. It's God's will that we learn more and more to know our sinful nature. Not just to identify certain actions as sins. But to know our sinful nature. To know the core of our sinfulness. And it goes all the way down into the deep places of our being. So that we really understand the gravity of sin and see the impossibility of solving our sin problem by our own means, by our own resources, by our own strength. Contrary to the foolish optimism of all liberal theology, you can never educate or legislate sin out of a person, it's impossible. Because sin is rooted in the very core of our being. It's in our very nature. No human means. No human effort. No brilliant human educational plan of behavior modification will ever uproot sin from the human race. Some in the world have realized that. And so they just deny that sin exists. Evolution helps with that. Man is just an evolved animal. There's no such thing as sin. We just have some unfortunate inheritances from our animal past that makes us behave like animals, and we just got to keep evolving, and eventually we'll get over it. But all of this is folly. God's law shows it to be folly by showing us the depth of our human sinfulness. Thus, we come to question answer 114 and its sober evaluation of us, even as converted people of God, those in whom the grace of the Holy Spirit is operating, those who have been regenerated and given the gift of faith by God. Can those who are converted to God perfectly keep these commandments? And the answer is no. You and I can't. Even the regenerated converted believer cannot keep God's commandments perfectly. While in this life, even the holiest men, that is, those who are progressed the furthest in sanctification, even them, they have only a small beginning of the new obedience. As long as we're in this life, we have that old man. He's with us till the day of our death when we are finally liberated from him. We have but a small beginning. Now, don't minimize that. That small beginning is a real beginning. Deny the reality of that beginning and you deny the work of grace in the believer. It's a real beginning. And from that real beginning, God brings forth much fruit. That's why God engrafts us into Jesus Christ as John 15 teaches us. So that we might bring forth fruit. And that glorifies God. There is a real beginning, but we must be humble. It's a small beginning. We cannot in this life measure up to God's standard of perfection. You can't. God created us able in the beginning. Adam and Eve could, but they fell, and the whole human nature is corrupted. And after the fall, it is impossible for any man, even a man that you might regard as the holiest among men, he can't keep it perfectly. Why? Because to keep God's law perfectly, there cannot even be the smallest inclination or thought contrary to any of God's commandments. To keep God's law perfectly, you have to hate sin at all times with your whole heart and delight in all righteousness. And who can do that? If anyone says, Oh, yeah, I could do that, you're as blind as can be. Even the holiest men have but a small, small beginning. And so here's a big reason why the law of God needs to be strictly preached. Strictly preached. Strict preaching of the law doesn't mean only this. It does mean this, but not only. That we preach the law without softening its sharp edges. We don't want to do that. We don't need to soften God's law. That's strict preaching of the law. Keep it sharp. But also this, Preaching the law strictly means we preach the law in light of the 10th commandment. The preaching of the law should not just address the sins on the surface. But should drive into our hearts. Shine the light of God into our hearts. Dig down deep and uncover the sinfulness there so that we can see ourselves as we truly are by nature. But now, along with revealing the depth of our sinfulness, at the same time, the 10th commandment reveals the height. It reveals the height of God's righteousness. And it must. These two things are revealed at the same time. The same light of the 10th commandment that shows us the depth of our sinfulness will also show us the height of God's righteousness. And therefore, the height that our righteousness must reach if we are to be acceptable to God, just as skin, as sin is not skin deep, God does not set the bar of righteousness low. Tenth commandment reveals that all ten commandments reveal that before the Ten Commandments tell us how to live, the Ten Commandments tell us about God. the commands reveal something about the lawgiver, they reveal. The completeness of God's righteousness. Ten in scriptures. The number of completeness. Ten commandments. A complete revelation of the righteousness of God. The righteousness of the lawgiver. He is righteous. And that simply means that his ways and works are always in full agreement with good. And he is the good. God is the good. The absolute good. The overflowing fountain of all good. And so Psalm 11 verse 7 says of God. For the righteous Lord loveth righteousness. God's requirements in his law flow out of who he is as the Holy One. And because he is righteous, he demands man be righteous. Not just outwardly, but his law demands that man be righteous as God himself is righteous. When it comes to the law, the law understood in light of the 10th commandment, The law is this, verse 48 of Matthew 5. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. This gives us a high, not a low view of righteousness. This is the righteousness man must measure up to if he is to be accepted by God. And as the 10th commandment shows us the depth of our sinfulness as well as the height of God's righteousness, it drives home the point all the more, even the holiest men while in this life cannot keep it perfectly. We cannot be perfect as God, our Heavenly Father, is perfect. The 10th commandment shows us how far short we fall. Here's yet another reason why the law needs to be strictly preached. The law needs to be strictly preached so that it shows us the righteousness of God. The law needs to be strictly preached so that we see how high the righteousness of God is and so that it's impressed upon us. We can't measure up by our own works. The strict preaching of the law shows us the impossibility of salvation by works. And we need to see that. You cannot reach up to heaven by your works and lay hold of the righteousness of God. Imagine this, going outside after church, standing in the parking lot, and saying to everyone, I'm going to reach up into the sky and grab the sun. People say, you're insane. That's impossible. Or imagine, well... Maybe I can do it if I get closer to the sun. So I'm going to go and climb to the very peak of Mount Everest. And from Mount Everest, I will reach up and grab the sun out of the sky. We'd still say, you're insane. It's impossible. That's more possible than reaching up into heaven by our own works. And making ourselves righteous with God. Even the holiest men, who you might say are on the Everest peak of sanctification. Can never reach up into heaven and make themselves righteous. By their own works. Even the holiest men cannot keep this law of God perfectly. Look at the depth of our sinfulness. Look at the height of God's righteousness. So where does that leave us? Where we must end? Christ. Revealing our need for Christ. That's what the 10th commandment does. And that's what the whole law of God Interpreted in light of the 10th commandment and ultimately in light of the gospel. That's what the whole law of God does. It reveals our need for Jesus Christ, the Savior. The 10 commandments command the heart. The 10 commandments show the depth of our sinfulness. They reveal the height of God's righteousness and the impossibility of us solving our sin problem and reaching up and making ourselves righteous by our works. Would that not leave us in utter despair? Hopelessness? No. Because the strict preaching of these ten commandments comes in conjunction with the preaching of the gospel. And the ten commandments now function as the servant of the gospel. The ten commandments function to show us our sin in order that we may be driven to the only one who can save us from our sin. And now we see again why seeing the depths of our sin and the height of God's righteousness is so important. If you don't see your sin, you won't see your need for Christ. If you have a shallow view of sin that's only skin deep, you're going to have a shallow view of Christ. If you don't see how far short you fall of the height of God's righteousness, You'll think you can get there by yourself and then you will be lost and hopeless. But if you see the height of God's righteousness compared with the depth of your sinfulness, you will have a high view of Christ and his work. How great this Christ must be if he is going to save a sinner like me and bring me up to the fellowship of the high and lofty holy God. That's how the law as the servant of the gospel is so very good for us. That's why we need to hear it strictly preached. The strict preaching of it drives us to Christ who is our hope. In the face of God's perfect law which we of ourselves cannot keep perfectly. By faith, the catechism says now, we thus become the more earnest in seeking the remission of sin and righteousness in Christ. Answer 115. Law shows us our sin so that we flee to Christ who gives us the forgiveness of sins. Jesus who went down into the depths of hell to redeem us from the depths of our sinfulness. And when we know that depth of our sin, then we will understand what really happened on the cross. That's why liberal theology massacres the cross. They don't understand the depths of sin. They don't understand the height of God's righteousness. And so the cross is turned into some example of a great man dying for his cause. And that robs the cross of all of its glory. What is the cross? The cross is the Son of God, the perfect Son of God, taking upon himself the curse of the perfect lawgiver for us imperfect sinners. Christ bore that curse. He suffered all of the wrath of the Holy God to atone for our law breaking, for all of our sins, the outward ones as well as the inward ones. He atoned and paid. Even for those smallest inclinations in your heart that are contrary to the law of God. He paid for those times when you don't hate sin with all your heart. Or when I don't love righteousness with my whole being. He carried the whole burden of all of our sin. Paid for it and reconciled us to God. And merited for us the forgiveness of all of those sins. So that we're forgiven. Freed from punishment. Reconciled. That's what the cross does. What a beautiful cross. Righteousness the catechism says. The law drives us to be more earnest in seeking remission of sin. And righteousness in Christ. When we see the height of God's righteousness, and we see we can't make it there of ourselves. Our only hope is to look to Christ, who is our righteousness. And this gives us an appreciation for the wonder of Christ's obedience. Christ measured up to the standard of God's law. And Christ's obedience wasn't just outward, it's not this that Christ was a peerless legalist who outdid all of the Pharisees in his meticulous outward observance of God's precepts. No, Christ obeyed the law from the heart. God said to Christ, My son, give me thine heart. And Christ gave God his heart. Through his whole life in ministry, Christ gave God his heart on the cross. As he suffered and died, bearing hell for you and me, still with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, Jesus loved God and fulfilled all righteousness for his elect people. So that when God looks at us in connection with Christ, he sees Christ's perfection. Be Ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. That's Christ. He was that perfect one. And that perfection is imputed to us freely. In Christ, not even the smallest inclination or thought, contrary to any of God's commandments, ever arose in his heart. At all times, Christ hated all sin and delighted in all righteousness and fulfilled every demand of the divine law for. And now that's the righteousness upon which our salvation, our acceptance with God, our place in glory, it's on that righteousness. that all of those things are grounded. There's the certainty of our salvation. Christ's perfection. That's the robe of salvation with which we have been graciously clothed. And so the law does not leave us hopeless. It would all by itself. But the law is the servant of the gospel. It shows us our sin. Drives us to Christ. And in Christ we find salvation. Having found salvation in Christ. Having joy and hope in him. We now go forward in obedience. And that's where we want to end our study of the ten commandments. With the hope and joy that we have in Christ. And that's where answer 115 ends. Likewise that we constantly endeavor and pray to God for the grace of the Holy Spirit that we may become more and more conformable to the image of God till we arrive at the perfection proposed to us in a life to come. There's perfection proposed to us that is set before us and promised to us in a life to come. That's what Christ has earned for us. The lawbreaker ought to be cursed. And death is the curse. For the sinner, there should not be a life to come. But for you and me and for all who believe there is a life to come through Christ. And what is that life? Perfection. We will be like Christ. We will be one day perfect as our Father in heaven is perfect. That's the hope set before us. And the certainty of that hope is what Christ has done. And that's what spurs us on. All the more to endeavor to be more conformable to the image of Christ. That's why we want to obey. From the heart. That's why we want that small beginning of obedience to unfold in our lives. Because it's how we thank God and glorify God and show our love to God for all that he has done for us. And so for the Christian now, law keeping is not a miserable task. It's not something we do out of fear something we do out of love. A law like no other. A law that should condemn us. But now, because of what Christ has done, taking its curse, that law now guides us in gratitude. That law now shapes our love for God, our Father. So as we close the Ten Commandments, adore Christ and obey His Word because you love Him. Amen. Faithful God and Heavenly Father, we give Thee thanks for this light of Thy law which shows us our sin and shows us the height of Thy righteousness. We confess our own inability. And so we turn to the only one who is able, and who has fulfilled that law, Jesus Christ. Having received all spiritual blessings in him, we counted our privilege and our joy already now in this life to live, not according to just some, but all thy commandments. Grant us that grace, we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen.